What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to, again, another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer. If this is your first time, welcome to my corner of the internet, listening or watching us live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Twitter. Don't want to forget about the, the tweeters out there, uh, but you can watch us live on the Ping Pong Payments Twitter page. So go ahead and, of course, subscribe to those for every live episode that we do. But then we go out on your favorite podcast platforms as well. So if you're listening to us again later on, thank you so much for listening to us uh, on your way to work or at the office or your commute or whatever. If you're commuting right now or on your travels, we appreciate the time that you spend with us uh, on this podcast. Uh, like every episode, uh, again, this is episode 156. So of course, every episode here is brought to you by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments helps Amazon and e-commerce sellers internationally help them keep more of their hard-earned money. That's with either sending international payments Uh, in terms of their uh, paying out their suppliers and manufacturers, paying their VAs, paying any kind of employees internationally. If it's not in their currency, you can use us to do that. Then also on the receiving side, if you're a huge brand internationally or you're a growing brand and you want to start to diversify into other marketplaces, Ping Pong's another option for you to receive in different kinds of currencies and not pay the fees that uh, come with that. You can actually save a lot more money, put that to your bottom line. And of course, Buy more inventory, pay more for your, uh, pay more for to your employees, or just pay yourself out a little bit more. But anyways, ping pong can actually help you save more money and apply it to other parts of your business, helping you save time, money, and effort. Go ahead and sign up for free today. Uh, mention crossover commerce when you sign up, and of course, uh, you can do that for free after this episode. Go ahead and save that and bookmark it, and make sure you use uh, the code crossover commerce or the link in the comments section below. Without further ado, though. Thank you again, Ping Pong. Without further ado, again, episode 156. If you're a consistent listener of this podcast and you're watching this, we've had lots of great uh, businesses that have come on or representatives of their businesses come on in the space. This one is, without a doubt, uh, no exception. One of the more exciting ones, I want to say, in the space in terms of, again, we're going to use the phrase aggregator, uh, a business that acquires or um, buys the rights to use a brand's name or just acquires it in general to either roll it up into their own portfolio or brand, um, but do so that where they can operate what another maybe smaller, medium-sized business owner uh, started, and they're going to want to take it to the next level. They do that. There's lots of great splashes in the space. Again, we've had lots of guests on the space before, but today um, we're going to bring on the folks from Acuco. Again, it's a funny name, but it, it completely makes sense once you read it outside. Um, acquiring companies or AccuCo, um, the team over there based out of New York City, uh, or excuse me, in New York, uh, the team in there is growing, I believe just had their first uh, anniversary, if you will, but growing quite rapidly, doing lots, of, making lots of splash in the news. Uh, again, at Prosper Show, you might have seen them around, um, like on the likes of CNBC, but doing and operating businesses at scale and really revolutionizing, revolutionizing exit opportunity. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, if I'm a, if I'm you, the listener and listening, Hey, what, what is it? What's the difference between each of these kinds of businesses? Well, we're going to dive a little bit into that today. So without further ado, I'm bringing on, uh, Jake Wolpert, who actually is the head of sales at Ecoco. He spent the last five years scaling brands on Amazon before joining the team over there and helped the leadership positions at Feedvisor as well as Blue Wheel Media. And him and his team are now focused on uh, presenting those opportunities in uh, the likes of businesses. And if you're looking for an exit or looking to uh, just move on from your business, or if you just don't think that it's, you just think it's the right time to exit, this is the person you want to talk to with as well. So that being said, welcome to Crossover Commerce, Jake Wolpert of Akiko. Jake, thanks for hopping on today, uh, all the way from, again, New York. Yeah, well, you know, I'm in New Jersey right now, uh, hiding away in the suburbs. But yep, uh, we are we are based out of New York City. Gotcha. Okay. Well, well, thanks for hopping on today. I appreciate that. So uh, maybe the steps child, obviously, in the New Jersey area instead of New York. It's it's okay. We won't hold that <laughs> against you. But hey, uh, it's uh, 
for, for people who are listening to this, uh, maybe kind of quickly, I did a quick introduction of you, but uh, tell me a little bit more about you, your background in, and maybe why Akiko. Um, what was the opportunity like for you and the team and uh, kind of tell us what you guys are all about? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do appreciate that intro. I think you nailed it. It made me sound a lot cooler than I, than I probably am. Uh, <laughs> I try. I try my yeah. best. Do you want me to talk about overall background or just my background? Let, let's go. Uh, yeah. Tell me about you, Jake. Uh, you first. So um, what, what's your background? What, what does it stem from? Are you from the e-commerce space? Is this your first stint in the Amazon world? What, what's, what's kind of that uh, background for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I went to college. I majored in Amazon with a minor in e-commerce. <laughs> As we all like- do. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, you know everybody who's now in the Amazon space spent a significant amount of time doing something that had nothing to do with Amazon or e-commerce. Um, I'm no different. I sold real estate. I did stand-up comedy. Uh, tried to break into the screen screenwriting world. Uh, you know, worked for a company that uh, chief executive network that was a manufacturing company uh, peer a peer network for manufacturing companies. Um, but then I went back and I got my MBA at Rutgers. And then after I got connected to uh, VP of sales at Feedvisor, I, th- I thought it was a really cool company. Feedvisor was uh, leading the way in repricing software. Uh, they had raised an A round uh, and was looking to break into the US uh, or sell more into the US. Um, they were t- uh, based in Tel Aviv at the time. So really learned the Amazon space that way. Uh, learned you know the reselling world and then the private label world when Feedvisor started to sell uh, advertising technologies, um, and then I joined Blue Wheel Media, which they have a, a sister company that is a top 150 Amazon seller. So I I feel like I was being trained this entire time to you know to buy Amazon businesses. I spoke with thousands of sellers over the years. Uh, you know they're the most interesting people in the world. Um, and then I, you know, I joined AccuCo. I, I think that what really drew me to them were the founders. And I spoke with yeah. Ron uh, and Gerald and Wiley, and and uh, and then our head of growth, David. And I really bought into them more than anything. And you know, I'm really excited to be at AccuCo now. I've been here for six months, although it feels like forever. Um, and you know, we are we are you know looking to build the largest collection of e-commerce brands in the world. That's amazing. Well, that, that's a that's a good place to start. I think uh, uh, first and foremost, yeah, as you know, uh, being in the Amazon space, I think everyone thinks is a misconception of it's going to age you. Uh, six months will age you, close right. to five years. So we will all be. I will definitely lose my hair by the time this podcast or whatever it looks like. My hair will be completely gone. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, uh, in, in the acquire space, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm curious. Just for you're, you're the director of sales. What does director of sales do for? An aggregator or the likes of a roll-up company is that that where um, you're you're going out and you make the purchase, or you're finding the companies to potentially acquire, or is that more of the M and A side and mergers and acquisitions? Like, what what does the director of sales do? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a good question. So, you know, I build the process for you know, looking for and targeting brands that fit into our portfolio. Um, again, I know I have sales in my title, but my job is not to convince sellers to sell. I know it's a, uh, you know, it's their baby, but you know, my team talks to sellers about a hundred a week about the process, what to expect, how to prepare your business for sale. Obviously, if they're ready to sell, my job is to convince them to sell to us and not some of the other companies out there. Um, but we are, you know, we really build a acquisition strategy for the optimal brands that that fit in our long-term our long-term plan. Uh, and then I work closely with the acquisitions team that does a diligence on the business and comes up with what we think the business is worth before we make an offer. Okay. So, so your job is to maybe find those kinds of companies, uh, whether it's on Amazon or fits into the portfolio. So um, we've had, like I mentioned in the introduction earlier, there's lots of different, we call, I mean, the, the term aggregator, I, I feel like there's a, I had this conversation last night there. I feel like there should be a different word than aggregator. I feel like it's not a pleasant term. It should be more like finessing or like growth company or something along those lines of uh, brand building, uh, brand builders or something along those lines. But uh, for, for aggregators, their job is to, um, you know, clearly find success on Amazon and maybe take it to another level. You guys are one of those companies who've announced a significant raise of, 
of capital, whether it's going to equity or to debt. Um, we, we've talked about the differences on the show before. So I guess what I'm asking is what makes your team different? What makes you think that you can stand alone, not do what the other teams are doing, but do it differently and do so effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you nailed it. I, I think aggregator is a term, it, you know, the definition is really to collect, right? Um, when you think of yourself as an aggregator, the goal is to collect brands, Amazon brands. Um, and that's great, right? But long term, if you are just thinking about, you know, singular focus on just collecting brands, you won't succeed. Uh, we think of ourselves as Amazon operators, mostly because we are Amazon operators, right? Our, our CEO, Ronick, worked at Amazon. He was part of the merchant technologies team. His team designed, you know, new product features. And he also started a brand on Amazon. Uh, and the first year grew it. They did $7 million year one. Um, since Enronic has you know, launched, you know, grown, exited multiple FBA brands. Our other co-founder, Wiley, has done the same. Uh, they actually went to college together, went to Cornell. Um, they've consulted okay. with the largest brands in the world. And so that is one of our competitive differentiations where we are actually Amazon operators. Uh, the majority of our company, we've either come from Amazon, we've scaled brands, we've worked for e-commerce companies. Uh, and I think so the mindset is that, you know, we're not aggregators. We, we grow brands past acquisition. Very cool. So um, when, when we're talking about revolutionizing, obviously the difference would be what I hear right away is you guys have done it. You've walked the walk, you talk the talk. You're not doing that at scale, presumably. Um, is it public knowledge of how many brands that you guys have that are operating or is that something you guys keep to yourself? So we don't disclose the number of brands that we've acquired. Um, but sure. I think what's maybe more important is that we're doing over $200 million in revenue and okay. we're profitable. So you can't do that without significantly growing the brands past the acquisition process. A, a lot of our revenue has come from growing them after after we've acquired a brand. And we're very proud of that. So does that, does that, um, is that, does that mean that you guys are searching for this, this sweet spot, if you will, of a certain size that makes it available in the context of, hey, it's not large enough where we'd have to do some significant moving of mountains to make it even more profitable? Or is it something where there's a sweet spot of, hey, it's doing $5 million, we can take it to 10. Is that, is that where a business like yours is really looking for that, that really nice sweet spot of does well, can do better, but it, not at such an extreme measure where you're pumping out eight, nine figures. Is that, is that more what you guys are trying to achieve? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it's a good question. So first and foremost, we're looking for solid brands. Um, we're category agnostic. We just want brands that have potential. Generally they're above uh, the $1 million EBITDA mark. So maybe three to $4 million. Um, we're, we're not usually buying brands below that, but then they could be above of, of any size above that. Um, if we see potential in the brand, um, we're, we're interested, right? If we, if we think that based on our team and our current portfolio, maybe there's some synergies that we can leverage, uh, we are interested in acquiring that company. Okay. So ser searching for a brand in business, uh, I, I guess, talk, walk me through the processes. I'm, I'm curious since you're one of those people of identifying who these people are, it's, it's kind of not a, as much of a mystery, but you can know where these businesses are located. If you go to their, uh, if you go to their uh, seller profile, right, you know where their business address is technically. Um, lots of different businesses. What, what's kind of the process on the day-to-day -day of like for you guys and your team? Is it is it just knowing like what are top sellers in certain categories? Like the, there's so many different products out there and so many different sellers into the millions. Where do you even start in that kind of, uh, in that processes? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, so we do get a ton of inbound uh, conversations. So okay. people come to our website, we've gotten good exposure. Uh, you know, we see, we see people at conferences or we're on podcasts. So we, a, a lot of our day is companies calling us, reaching out directly. Uh, but I do spend a lot of time on Amazon. I use third party software. I also, 
Uh, I want to point out that we've built an internal database. Uh, you know, our, the head of our data team is ex-Microsoft. So we do use tech as well, and it's proprietary to, you know, go in and, you know, we've built uh, a lead scoring model as well that helps us identify the brands that are, you know, worth, worth us acquiring. And, you know, and then we reach out, we introduce ourselves and, uh, you know, we take it from there. So there, there is internalized metrics that you guys are looking at. I, I've, I've always, I've always been fascinated too with the aspect of what is, where does the weight of each brand come from in terms of, is it more of the number of products they're selling, uh, the quantity or the quality of, again, there, there's distinguishing factors, right? If we're going to be talking about the feel and like it's a evergreen product where it's going to stay around forever. It's going to be consistent. It's going to be, um, you don't have to change much. You're just buying something that's going to be pretty, pretty basic. I won't say basic. The floor is high, but the ceiling is also very low. So you have a consistent brand, but then you have something that can maybe spike in terms of maybe it's not for everyone, but it can have this trendable nature to it. Where, where does the weight come when you're looking at a brand more, is it a consistent product or is it more of a, Hey, there's opportunities to see this thing really take off. And if we hit a home run, if we put a lot of eggs, some eggs in that basket, we can really knock it out. Yeah. I love that question. And it's a, and it's a tough question uh, to be honest, to, to answer. So there are some products that are no brainers, right? Top BSRs, you know, review mode, uh, you know, just they're not going anywhere. The challenge is identifying those ones that have the potential, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like, for example, we think that, you know, home, home gym equipment is going to is going to continue to grow. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe a lot of people think that as well. But, you know, people started working at, out at home. They maybe stopped going to gyms during COVID. And now there's like, ah, you know, I have this exercise bike. I'm going to continue to do that. So we think that category has got a lot of growth potential. And we are looking at, you know, looking into that as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's really a balance between the, the home runs and the ones that are, you know, that everyone's chasing and then really trying to identify those ones that have the, that are maybe a little bit more niche, but, but do have, uh, you know, potential long-term, especially off Amazon. Right. So with that being said, you're all, I, I say you're all, there's lots of different companies maybe competing for the same category. There's only in theory, there's only so many, uh, top brands that are selling in certain categories. Um, so after you've exhausted that list, uh, like I said, there's someone who's pretty consistent. They're going to have the top uh, baby uh, blanket or something like that, like top child's toy. It's going to be consistent. Um, there's not too much ebb and flow, maybe more so nowadays because of all the craziness going on. But uh, if you've exhausted that list, does your list continue to search for those hidden gems on Amazon or do you try to take a different approach on off Amazon because that that's the question I think uh, a lot of people don't necessarily know the, the answer to is how do you find brands that may not, maybe not necessarily on Amazon fully or doing as well or they just launched in the last year how are you finding those diamonds in the rough of potentially jumping on Amazon and then blowing up because they've built a brand off of Amazon directly yeah so well the first part to your question are uh, you know there's like a finite amount of top sellers right. But I will say that I think, and I read a stat recently, there's like 2 million sellers, right? And, and a new one popping up every minute. So the important thing is to you know, talk to as many sellers as you can, because the ones that maybe aren't top right now will be top in six months or, or you know, will have significant growth. So I, I think- You catch them on the upswing, basically. Exactly. So I think talking to them, learning about their brand, learning about their story. I've been in the space for a while, so I'm able to predict, you know, Who's doing it? Who's doing a good job? You can look at their content. You can look at their initial reviews, and you can forecast that this will be one that you know is worth it. Um, second part of your question was right off Amazon. We, we're looking for strong brands. If they're on Amazon, that's great. You know, we we do think that we can scale brands significantly off off Amazon. But our goal is to be the largest collection of e-commerce brands. You can't do that without focusing off Amazon, right? You can't focus on multi-channel selling, targeting brands who are on Shopify, uh, and, and and that's the key. So we are, you know, we're combing not just Amazon but the internet, looking for brands and you know, and, and talking to them. If it's a if it's a company that has growth potential, we're not going to discriminate if they're not on Amazon. 
So what's that? Uh, that what's that mix look like though? Uh, if I, if I'm listening to this as a seller, when hey, we always ask the question, why now? Why is now that? Why is now a good time to potentially exit my my brand and maybe I want to like move on from that? What? Why is there a consistency where people are saying now's the time to move on? Is there is there those like three key points that you point to and saying look? It's not going to get much easier than this uh, now. Like now's your time to do it. Like what are those selling features for you guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first it depends on the expectations. You know, if you're a brand, how, how big are you and, and how big do you want to get to? Um, and then you have to think about how, how challenging is it going to be? What do I need to do to get there? A lot of sellers that I speak with tell me that the things they did to get to 5 million, right, are not going to be the things that they do to get to 10 million. Right. Maybe they're really good at finding good products, launching them, branding them, maybe advertising, but they don't want to manage people. And the only way to grow further is to hire and uh, you know build out a team. And I, I talked to a seller recently and he's like, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a creator. I don't want to manage people. And when you start working in the business versus on the business and you know, trying to build out a team, that could be a good time to sell. Uh, Amazon is, you know, is getting really competitive. So maybe the same things you're doing that aren't working, or you have to decide, do I really want to double down my investment in advertising and scale that way? Um, and then the second part is, you know, if I grow two businesses to five million, it's really the same thing as as ten million. And so, you know, do I have a better chance of growing another business to five million than I do at taking one from five to ten? Okay. Well, that makes sense to me. And I, I think like, like you said, we, we always tout the scalable nature of, again, cost, the investment that you have to put into it. We've, um, with sourcing and logistics now, I think the last chat time I checked, which was yesterday of how many boats are on the water right now, it's, you know, it's going to be 70 boats and container ships are on the West coast of the United States. Um, that that's just the nightmare to get your goods quicker to the United States. So I guess what's the revolutionary ideas that you guys are taking and doing different than every other person who's either sold started aggregator business and then what's kind of that that path moving forward is it is it going to be different and you're going to take a right hand turn quickly because of what you guys are forecasting like you said you see you see where people can go where's that differentiating factor going to come from for you guys for us you know you're talking about long term like post like after we acquire brands sure yeah, so every part of our business we've built playbooks for. And so we have people handling all growth levers. And, you know, I, it, it sounds simple, but we think we have world-class operators. And that is the key. I think, you know, technology is important, uh, but you need to have people who really understand how to grow brands and scale them. And uh, I think we're extremely disciplined. We're not trying to just acquire brands because another aggregator is doing it. It has to be a brand that we've built a strategy for long-term and we can execute upon. And if we don't think we can grow it and another company wants to buy that brand, you know, it's all theirs. Mm -hmm. What What's kind of your, uh, what's the fear that you you live in as a company who's buying these brands? Like what, what's the biggest fear? You're going through the processes. You think, hey, the numbers make sense. They look good. What's that traditional fear that that number one fear that you have of if I ready to cross the finish line? What it what is that thing that that kind of sits in the back of your head as a company? Well, I I think there yeah you know, everything you have to expect or you have to anticipate. Um, you know, you have to be scared of everything, but at the same time prepared for for you know whether that's you know suspension or getting reported for for whatever. Um, I think the the, the challenge is, is just being ready for whatever happens and, and not getting caught off guard. Um, you know, I think Amazon sellers, maybe that's just me and you running a business. There's multiple things to take care of. We're not prepared and it takes us forever to get over suspension or, you know, new competitors are jumping in and driving up, you know, cost, the cost of advertising. How are we handling that? So I think just being able to anticipate all the challenges makes us sleep a little bit easier at night. Gotcha. So what's that one thing that, so I, I guess in that regards, you're preparing for the fear, but what's the story maybe you can tell us that 
there was that that worst nightmare came to realization of, you know, you guys bought this brand, but there was something maybe bad on the books or there was, uh, you can't get that product anymore. You can't like make it anywhere because of the goods or it was something that was, that wasn't uncovered or anything like that. I'm not saying that your team is bad at uncovering that kind of stuff. Is there something that was just that worst case scenario did come true and you had to, to pivot and really think on your feet as a company because it wasn't your, you don't know the processes you're going through all these things called uh, due diligence, right? Um, for, for the listener out there, who's um, going through this process, businesses like yours are going to go and look at your accounting books. They're going to say like, Hey, what's profitable? What are you spending? Um, paying your taxes, all, all that fun stuff, right? When any sort of business gets purchased, you got to look at what's the black, what's in the black, what's in the red and Hey, can these numbers make, uh, can we make these numbers make sense? Uh, for the investment. So with that being said, is there, has there been something that's happened and you were like, it was a 1% chance, but yet it happened. And now we have are stuck with that problem. Is there something you can share with us? Well, I mean, the biggest one was the shipping container costs. That was, uh, that was a challenge, but um, you know, we don't have any nightmare stories like that. And I'm not saying like we're, we're perfect, right? We, you know, we have challenges like everyone else, but we're extremely, uh, thorough in our diligence process and things like violating TOS or right, fake reviews, we flag those. So if there's anything that we think, we look at the account health, we look at the history of, of the seller, um, we want, and we have been very good at flagging anything that is going to prevent us after the acquisition of, of scaling the brand. So no nightmare stories. I've heard of a ton of nightmare stories. Um, but no, nothing, nothing from, uh, from us internally. I know that's probably gotcha. not the best answer for you though. This, Jake, this is a podcast. We're supposed to have good, interesting stories now. That's not um, salacious enough, a, well, right? that's a good thing. Well, that's a good thing. So like, uh, maybe let's flip on that. Let's flip that question on its head. Then let's, uh, let's take it the different direction. Something that surprisingly surpassed expectations internally of maybe it was a smaller brand that once you got your hands on earth, you were like, oh my gosh, like. There is a, a a massive opportunity that was missed by the seller or by just in general of hey we if we just knock this processes down into streamlining it with our own revolutionary software or processes whatever that might be we we now take that brand and completely like the the value of it is completely like five x ten x whatever it is uh, surprisingly with your company has that happened. Absolutely. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, absolutely. So, so Wiley, our other co-founder, is a supply chain, you know, guru, and he works, you know, on the on that side of the business. And you know, you know, you can save a ton when you eliminating costs, right, on shipping and, and the logistics side. And we've we've made, you know, there's there's right two ways to grow the business. Right, you can either grow sales or or cut margin, uh, and um, or increase margin. And so there have been opportunities where we've, you know, acquired a brand and we've applied our our supply chain uh, expertise and we've saved a significant amount of money. On the other side, you know, the best Amazon sellers oftentimes are the best advertisers. And so mm-hmm. to be able to scale a brand and getting as many of the right eyeballs on the products as possible, uh, you know, we've achieved massive growth just putting in a, a more robust advertising strategy and just leveraging, you know, what the brand owner has already done, built a strong brand, quality products, but just, you know, helping increase conversions. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's, um, you know, that would be the number one thing to do is get more eyeballs on it to build something as more impactful, but that comes with money. So is that, is that a fear that again, spend in advertising, you can get really creative, the more niche and focus that you get you know focused on people who are in market and ready to buy that product the more they might be you know more costly it might be to target that individual whether it be on facebook or uh google ppc or just on amazon itself what do you guys say with uh if this conversation comes up of hey you guys are you're really going to hurt any sort of small medium-sized business trying to play ball by themselves almost like the costs are driving up because you're able to invest more into advertising. Like you said, if I can't play that game, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that hurt multiple people, right? It hurts the ability to be innovative and 
stand out for the small and medium sized business, but then also hurts that funnel of businesses being profitable for you to potentially acquire them. Does that make sense? Does that yeah, does that kind yeah, of catch twenty two make sense to you guys? Yeah, no, totally fair. So you know, are we killing the small businesses with? You're asking if we're if, if are you we're the Amazon with- to the malls of America? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're not going to paint gloomy. I don't think that there's anything negative with aggregators. I'll, let me be clear to listeners out there. I, I think the valid question, which I personally have heard from people, is how do you how do you continue to be? How does everyone continue to play ball in the same uh, sandbox, if you will? When the sandbox feels like you have to pay press of admission higher and higher, it's not free anymore to just jump in or low cost. It's it's way higher barriers to entry to get in to be successful to overcome to to do well. And now all of a sudden I have to play with the big boys from day one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's fair. So, uh, well, first thing is I think Amazon wants to increase the advertising capabilities. They, you know, it's a, it's a huge revenue driver for them. Uh, and you know, there's all, they're always creating, you know, new, new capabilities, new product placements, new ad placements as well. So, uh, I think this is kind of what Amazon has, has driven companies towards. Uh, The second part is uh, I think you're seeing a lot more professionalism on Amazon. So whether it's from an aggregator or just, you know, better Amazon sellers, we've we've all leveled our game up. Uh, I think maybe five, 10 years ago, it was a lot easier to sell on Amazon and get eyeballs on the product. So whether it's us or it's other top sellers, you have to have the best advertising strategy. Uh, You know, unfortunately, there are some people that are, you know, also throwing money, you know, into advertising and, and raising CPCs. Um, but, you know, it just it, it, selling on Amazon is just getting harder. And I think whether you're, you know, an aggregator or you're just a, a seller that's at 10 million trying to get to 20 million, it's harder than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, let, let's go, let, let's, I mean, we can do hypotheticals again. That's not the, that's not the reality of what this is, but if you continue down that path, uh, say for example, it's it's harder to get in. If I'm a person that's just trying to start out, right? You're not doing it with five thousand uh, dollars anymore. Back in the good old days, you're doing it. It's maybe ten, twenty, depends on the product. Um, with that little caveat to get in, involved with that, as cost of advertising continues to go up, at what point do you start losing and suppressing that that new seller market, or is it is it just people are just going to get more creative and innovative and you're going to see like other, other little springs or leaks, if you will, in the, in the ecosystem that is standing out on Amazon, not in terms of black cat tactics or anything like that to stand out and, and get ahead, but more, is there going to be areas where small, smaller people that are starting out can definitely break through, even though that costs are going up? Do you, do you see that happening or is it just going to be to a point where it's unattainable to even get started and all of a sudden you see this dip on new sellers onto the marketplace? Yeah. So, well, first thing is Amazon is only growing, right? It's uh, responsible for, I think, 40% of e-commerce sales and, you know, only growing more. So there's going to be more people to buy products. On top of that, I think I, I read a stat recently that you know over I think it was sixty percent of searches begin on Amazon. So Amazon is now a search engine, more than you know maybe more than a marketplace. And then on top of that is like three quarters of the sales are are non branded. So people are which means that people are just going to browse for products like if you know my wife for example right just looking to find new stuff. And, and I think if you're launching a new product and it's a and it's a great product and you have you know, a plus content, you can still take, you know, a percentage of the market share. If you're saying I want to launch on Amazon, I want to take 20 or 30% or I want to play those. I think, you know, it's almost impossible to do that, but to take a good amount of sales enough to, you know, uh, enough to, you know, have a, a you know, a, a nice living. I think that's still possible. You know, I, you obviously you need to, you know, bid on some long tail terms as well and have a strategy for that and, you know, potentially layer in some ASIN targeting. Um, but it is possible. It's just setting expectations that, you know, maybe being the next $100 million brand, you know, in two years, you know, may not happen. Right. I was going to say, does that, does that mean that it just takes longer to build up these quick, high performing brands, if you will? It's just going to take maybe more an extra year or so because to get your steam going, um, B 
be be more involved and whatnot. It's not going to just be this quick hit one time uh, in seven months. I'm doing eight figures. It's not going to be as effective and easy anymore. It's going to be more long, strategic building business kind of thing. Be more thoughtful of who you're targeting, how you're standing out. And it's not just a, a me too product. So I, agree. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, yeah, um, that that kind of thought um, from you, Jake. So for so Jake, for people. Um, so sellers internationally in the United States, let's be clear, are you guys looking for brands who are located in any sort of specific country? Or is this something where if you're a seller, you're successful, it's a brand you can operate, you're going to play ball with those people? Yeah, absolutely. We are interested in, you know, oh, I mean, the truth is the, the majority of the sellers I speak with are located in the US and sell in the US. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I spoke with seller last week, large, large brand in, in, uh, in Germany. Uh, you know, they we're still having conversations and, you know, we're interested in their brand. Uh, but most importantly is we just scrutinize brands differently depending on where they're located, you know, just because they're, you know, selling in the UK doesn't mean, you know, we don't want them. It's just, we look at them potentially differently because the strategy for scaling, um, would be a, a little different than if they were, you know, selling predominantly in the U S and it was, a very similar product in our in our portfolio. Gotcha. So you're wording more so a business that is already selling in Amazon, or I would say rewarding. It's more your appetite's a little bit more for selling and being successful in dot com marketplace instead of just in like dot um, UK or dot uh, you know any of the other JP or anything like that. Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So with that being said, is that do you, do you foresee that kind of outweighing if, if I'm going to be a dominant brand or if I'm the number one seller in, let's call it Japan. Japan's the third highest eyeball traffic um, selling Amazon uh, marketplace right now, um, obviously competing with other marketplaces, but um, it's still becoming more and more popular. Is there a point where that that completely outweighs the fact that it's it's talking to you a billion people instead of, 300 million so plus people in the United States. The, the, does the, is there a point where the eyeball test becomes, hey, impressions actually matter instead of sales? Does that make sense as a brand? Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely makes sense. It's a great point. Uh, you know, I think we, you know, at, at our leadership meetings when we're building our strategy, we, we evaluate things like that. Um, the most important thing, though, is to be disciplined and not get drawn to, you know, the, you know, sexy numbers like, like that. And, you know, we really want to make sure we're doing it the right way and not just jumping in because other aggregators are doing it or, you know, it's a trend and, you know, we really want to do everything the right way because two, three, you know, years down the road, we, we see ourselves being the largest Amazon operator. That's awesome. Well, I mean, that's the hope I, I believe for everyone. There's only one top spot, right? But everyone can have a piece of the pie. And we, I think we'd both agree that there's lots of uh, space in, I said earlier, in the sandbox, if you will, uh, for lots of people to coexist. Um, but but maybe I my question kind of goes to this other direction of what 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 is a trend for you and your team versus what has brand tied to it? And let me maybe clarify this this question. For example, a trend can be something that's flashy, has lots of a spike in sales. It can be um, the hot thing, if you will, a trend, um, like maybe a fidget spinner. Last around a year and a half or so, I think is the hot uh, hotness of it, where first a couple people were to the market, they were really successful. Then all of a sudden, by the time they were second or third shipment, everyone had a different iteration of a fidget spinner. Last about a year and a half or so, but that, that market, what I would call a trend. What what juncture do you do you weigh a product as a trend versus a product has staying capability and will last X years? What what is that distinction for you and your team? Yeah, so that's uh, that's a, a good question that our M and A team is uh, you know that they you know they're doing that all day long. Uh, but you fidget spinner is a, a good example, right? Uh, it's not like a fad product. It's not not something we want. Um, same thing as cell phone cases, right? Anything that's going to be a new generation every year. Uh, we, we don't want those products, you know, an emerging product, you know, like the pet, you know, pet category, I think is a, a category that's 
been emerging and that we're very interested in. Um, but, but, you know, or, you know, the baby category, uh, you know, as a parent, you know, I know how I buy products for my kids all the time. Uh, so I'll say that industry will not dry up. Well, let's just be clear <laughs> that baby industry will always be a new and emerging market constantly. You don't have to worry about those customers ever going. away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And also, you know, we spend, you know, uh, all my money I spend uh, for my kids, you know, or my, or, 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 the, you know, my dogs, but um, you know, we, we do, you know, that it's, it's more of, you know, our, our, uh, our transactions team, our M&A team that is looking into that and they, they're, they're, they're looking at, you know, hundreds and hundreds of data points to think, you know, is this a fad product or is this an emerging trend? Um, and, and then they feed that information back to us and then we, we go target those companies. Okay. So in that regards, they're more of, they have to almost have a hat of predictor, but then also of, so what, what data points does that help yield? Like there's no industry secrets we want you to share. What, what does it take for someone to know the difference between a trend versus staying power? Because again, in, in the context of history on Amazon, let, let's just call it what it is. Uh, FBA has been around 2015, 14, more, more popular in 2015, I would call it. So call it six, seven years that Amazon.com has been a third-party marketplace for lots of different growing companies. Like we saw the, you call it the, the genesis or the start of it all. So six years of data that you're working with, knowing around that a product is going to last at least six years because that's the history you have, that that's the maximum theoretically of what you could be working off of. You only know that a data uh, or a brand or a product can last maybe theoretically that long. How long would you want a product to actually be, have staying power, sell well, go through in theory in that regard? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a I know it has staying power for at least six years. Do I know if it's going to last 10 years? I don't know because the data doesn't tell me that yet. Right. It's a good question. And I, I don't actually have the best answer to be honest with you. I, I, I think it depends on if we want to scale it on Amazon or if we think that there's good potential to scale off Amazon, uh, you know, and, and have an omni-channel approach. You know, we may think that on Amazon, this product's going to grow, but maybe the real opportunity is to get the product into Best Buy, right? Or Bed Bath & Beyond. And that's where we can see significant growth as well. Uh, you know, I think those growth levers are, are most important when evaluating, you know, how long this, this product is gonna have, uh, you know, power for. Is there is there a playbook that, that you guys feel pretty confident on? If it's just a Amazon product and a brand, again, a brand, I go back to the definition of brand because that's what I think a lot of people get confused by is what is that distinction of a brand? A brand on Amazon may not be actually a brand. It might be just a, a name that someone's tied to a bunch of randomized products. But then you can look at a brand like a, let's call it a Zesty Paws again. We talked on the show. They were acquired for $600 million by a, a venture, a VC company to that world company. I think they're based in China. Uh, but the brand itself is Zesty Paws, and they're known because they have a direct-to-consumer uh, arm so that they can sell on their own website. They are started on Amazon, so they started selling on Amazon, but pet-based products. And then third, you are selling in retail stores of the likes of uh, Target or PetSmart, things like that. Is, that. is that where you've achieved a brand, or can you actually be a brand without existing outside of Amazon. Does that make sense? Because I know Anchor grew from it. It's a publicly traded company, but they have their own direct-to-consumer arm. They have all these different things that, in theory, make you a standalone company. Can you yeah. have a brand that just exists on Amazon? I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, I think Anchor, if they stayed on Amazon, they would have still been a brand, right? They're, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. I, I talked about Anchor in a, in a previous uh, podcast I was on, but you know what was uh you know started on Amazon grew massively. Now a public company, right? They're selling to Best Buy over a billion dollars uh, overall. Um, but I do think you can be an Amazon brand, especially with the amount of traffic, the repeat purchases. I think that's important. You know, if you're a if you're a, a, a you know you're selling a brand on Amazon and you're a subscribe and save, uh, you know you're you know you could be doing you know significant amount of of, of sales. 
people know you and they have no reason to go anywhere else to buy your product. They're just, you know, you're on Amazon. I think if it's the other way, if you're a brand and you're, you're doing a decent job, uh, you have to be on Amazon because people will see an ad and the first thing they'll do is search for your product on Amazon. You have to be there. Uh, but I don't think in all cases you have to go off Amazon to be a brand. Okay. That's well, just my opinion. Uh, I, I, you know, right, no, that, that's a, that, that's a, that's a strong opinion and a strong theory. Um, you had mentioned in kind of those points too, that because they sell on Best Buy and they're selling directly to these other places in theory, that's where they got a lot of name recognition potentially, but it what I guess with a brand coming strictly from Amazon, I think, I think you're right. It can exist. I think it can happen. I guess the distinguishing factor I want to make to the audience and listener who's saying, how do I build my own brand? How, how do I build an anchor? Again, lots of these are, lots of these things happen over time, but if you're, I want to build an anchor, anchor is by definition an electronics company. Like you can classify them as a specific, I can put them in a category X, Y, Z, or um, Zesty Paws again, go back to that example. They are a pet company or a pet supply company, whatever you want to classify, but they are, they sell directly for pets. Can I have a brand that doesn't have some continuity or consistency across my products that I am selling online? Like again, retail arbitrage. We actually theoretically just saw it. Um, the number one seller on the United States is actually a reseller that is going public, but they're reselling all of their products. And, I, and again, I don't have the name of it. And I, I read the article last week of Farm they're going public. Right. Yeah. Farm pack. Yeah, exa exactly. Thank you for that uh, assist. Um, they're going public and they're not even profitable right now because they're reselling all products and theoretically, theoretically at a loss, but they're doing it so consistent in going public and they're going to be profitable in the year 2024, I think is what right. it was. What, how, how do I become a brand if I'm reselling other products when it has no consistency? Does that make sense? Like, is that really yeah. a brand or is that just a, a, a company that's really good at getting products into people's hands? Yeah, I mean, I think Pharmapax is a brand because they're first mover and they, you know, they're number one, they're massive. And, uh, you know, I think they're just recognizable, right? They have both, you know, recall and, and recognition. You know, if you think of like the largest reseller, I think Pharmapax, if somebody says, have you heard of Pharmapax? Like, oh yeah, you know, I know who they are. Um, reselling though is, is tough. You know, they're usually, you just know the brand that you're buying. You don't know who's actually selling the product on Amazon. Um, so I'm not sure how, how many resellers are actual brands, but, um, right. I, I guess that that's where my point is, is that, is that something that, that Akiko or any other kind of acquisitions company or aggregator company, again, collecting of brands, ultimately you just said they are a brand what's to keep you guys from going after like a reseller? Uh, lots of times I hear resellers are not worthwhile for, for, uh, uh, aggregators because they just don't have the, the margins. I, again, is, is the most glaring thing. I get that, but they're going public and they have the ability to do a theoretically turn profit. So is there a division or space where aggregators start to make these divisions of resellers or, buying products like 1p products and reselling them online like what is there a space where that starts to evolve under an umbrella like you guys i don't think for us it's a brand so you just made the point of and this is not to argue or or, or piss on anyone's comments or it's to say they are a brand we've made that clear aggregators by definition are acquirers of brands right is, is there a space where that becomes a play for somebody whether it be akiko or I think, long line. Yeah, I think the issue with the resellers is a lack of exclusivity, right? So you can't really sure. control your brand. Uh, you can't control the price. I think it, it becomes a lot more challenging if you're, you know, reselling, you know, lotions and toothpaste and, you know, there's nothing. Right, the product selection is all over the place. Like, let's be clear. If you're, if you're, uh, if you've a uh, listener out there, if you have never looked at um, their brand, it is, it is this jumble of lots of different products stuff that everyone needs clearly, right. but it's all over the place. Like I can't say you fit in this category. Um, right. but anyways, uh, it, it's all over the place. Right. And I, th I think you have less control. I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't a business of buying resellers. Uh, you know, I, I think somebody could do it. 
uh, they'd have to make sure that there's some kind of relationship with the supplier where that's going to continue. A license or something like that. Yeah. Right, exactly. But I, I think advertising is not as powerful. So there's there's just not as much growth levers if you're in the reselling business, except just for the sheer fact of get the product for the lowest price, right? Toss it up there and, uh, you know, maybe you can figure out a relationship with the supplier and, you know, just get a better deal. But other than that, there's not a ton of competitive advantages uh, outside right. of you know, pharma packs, I would say. Right. So is the other kind of playbook that you guys maybe look into is once you buy these brands, is it, is it naturally of direct uh, start quickly building out that direct to consumer platform or um, are you guys going, do you feel like the wholesale route is, is the quickest way to again, selling to retailers who can put these products on store shelves, it has that visibility, it's creating that brand awareness, whether they buy it on Amazon or in the store. What, what's that next space that you guys feel that's most important? Um, yeah. You so grow your brands. We do have relationships with retailers that we, you know, we certainly leverage. Once we're evaluating a brand, even before we've acquired them, we're thinking about, you know, how soon can we grow this brand off Amazon? or, you know, potentially, you know, target.com, for example, or Walmart. Um, that's all part of the acquisition process so that we can hit the ground running. But some, you know, it doesn't happen all the time right away. You know, sometimes our, our main focus is let's scale this brand on Amazon or let's significantly reduce manufacturing costs. Um, and, and that's important for us as well. So I, I, right. I think most important thing to point out is it's a, probably a case by case basis. Sure. So yeah, Jake, Jake, kind of wrapping up before the top of the hour, again, we have Jake Wolpert here from Hackyco. Um, Again, head of sales. So maybe tell me, you, you've thumbed through all these different kinds of brands and whatnot. Um, you, you've you've said a lot, a lot of no's, I'm assuming, but there's been a lot of yeses that you are interested in, in these companies. What's the number one distinguishing factor that if I'm, if I'm a seller listening to this podcast and I say, what do I need to know? What do I need to prepare for in order to be potentially valuable in your eyes to uh, sell my brand? What's that number one thing? I think have your financials in order, right? I think, and also, you know, really have an idea of what you expect, what your brand's worth, um, what makes sense for you. And it's okay for you to dictate the terms to us. You know, if it works for us, great. But the most important thing is for the seller to feel comfortable through the process. Right. That, that's a great tip. And I think uh, that's where I would leave us to. So again, uh, Q4 is starting, I want to say next week, we're already there. We're already coming. I'm approaching it. What, what's kind of that excitement factor? What are you guys looking to do uh, for the remainder part of 2021? And then is there prepping and planning to go into 2022 already? Uh, what, what's that? What's that next three months look like for you and the team there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, uh, you know, so we don't have heavy, heavy, heavy seasonal products, but we are expecting a big Q4. Um, you know, we 2022 is going to be a huge year for us. We our goal is to, you know, scale our brands to $500 million. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be pivotal for us. Hiring, though, has just been critically important. I think everybody thinks of aggregators are racing to, you know, acquire brands, but we're also racing to find the best talent. Uh, you know, where we will be about 100 employees by the end of the year. To give you some context, we were about 35 when I started, you know, a few <laughs> months ago. Uh, so, you know, doing it the right way, you know, being disciplined with who we hire is, uh, you know, is, is probably the most important thing for us, you know, for the next three months. Right. And I think you share with me, like, uh, just brain managers, people operating and actually taking over something that's as precious as a spring that was built and actually operating it at scale and, and doing a hopefully better job than what the original seller was, uh, I, I think is what you guys are looking for. Is there anything specific, like if people are, like what are those really important positions that you guys are, um, that are just super critical to a company like you? Yeah, brand managers, uh, people who have expertise in advertising, in SEO, Right. Uh, you know, really, you know, any part of growing an Amazon brand, a lot of the, the people we hire have actually started and grown Amazon brands as well. Cause I think there's a difference between 
you know, your own brand growing it and then growing someone else's brand. But, you know, we really want to keep that integrity of the brands we acquire. And so when you have that personal connection to a brand and you have experienced that before, it's really important. But, you know, we're looking for all levels of Amazon experts. And uh, yeah, it's um, it, it, it can be challenging. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think you guys are up to the task too. I know there's lots of different exciting things uh, in terms of marketing and money in the space. And of course, like just the sheer op opportunity that I think lots of people have finally acknowledged that brands have power on a platform like Amazon. Uh, you know, I always talk about international growth opportunities. I talk about the ability to actually develop something from nothing with all these different ideas. And you do the same thing too. Coming from a service provider side, um, I think that insight is super valuable. Um, are you guys going to be any, if, if people want to talk, touch base with you, whether it's in person and you're going to be at a conference or an event, uh, or they just want to connect with you guys individually, how do they do that? Yeah. So, well, first thing I'll be at Teller Velocity on Thursday, which we're pretty excited about. And then we'll be at a right. handful of conferences. Yeah. I'll post it on, on LinkedIn, just our schedule, but you know, really the best way to contact me is email me, uh, jake.walpert at acu.co. Um, but I'll also give out my, my phone number. Uh, you know, I, I want to say that I'm available. I'm, I'm transparent. Uh, 908-208-9674. For people who don't want to talk, you can text me um, or, you know, come to the website and uh, and someone will contact you. Yeah, we have the uh, Akika's uh, website. Again, it's acqu.co. Again, play on the words of acquire company. Uh, I love it. I think you guys are one of the more, I would say brand-wise, which I love talking about, one of the more recognizable brands in the Amazon uh, ecos aggregator ecosystem. Again, we got to find a different word than aggregator. It's going to come. It's going to. Someone's going to say it's going to stick. It's going to be this not, not. Uh, I want to say like dirty word like this. Yeah. Like we're we're going to keep it all to ourselves. Like brand builder companies or whatever that Oper looks like. Operators, so, yeah. I think brand operators. operators there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's exciting. And again, thank you so much for, again, Seller Velocity, which uh, Ping Pong Payments is also a, uh, a sponsor of. We will also be at that event. So make sure you stop by Ping Pong's table, Akiko's table. And uh, uh, thank you so much again, Jake uh, Wolper from Akiko for hopping on Crossover Commerce Day. We appreciate it. Now, friend of the show, we uh, appreciate your time today talking about how you guys are revolutionizing exit opportunities on Amazon. Thank you so much, Jake. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. No problem. And again, everyone else for, uh, thank you again, listener for listening to crossover commerce. Again, this is our podcast in our corner of the internet where again, it's my dark in my corner of the internet. It got so dark quickly if you're watching us live. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of living in a state that constantly is either raining or, uh, it's hot has all get out right now. But, uh, that's why we go live. We, you know, with the changes in the weather, just like the changes on in the e-commerce space and environment too. You have to ebb and flow with what comes, but we're staying strong here in the dark, in the darkness, basically producing this podcast. With that being said, I just wanted to give another quick shout out to uh, Jake and his team. Thank you for hopping on. Uh, again, you can check them out at AccuCo, uh, AccuCo um, and check out again, opportunities to be a brand manager, but then also just the ability to exit a business. I think lots of people try to figure out what's the difference between companies, which one should I go with? Again, more money is obviously an important thing if you're exiting your business, but you want someone to have your brand that you worked hard for um, in the right hands. And I think that there's lots of great companies out there that are going to do that. Um, if you're not ready or if you're already and you want to kind of have that initial conversation, again, Jake gave out his contact information, either reach out to them directly or have your broker reach out to them as well. So um, that being said, um, I'm Ryan Kramer. Again, we have a slate. Uh, I call it a slate. It's just this uh, knockout group of people that we're going to be talking with this week on the podcast. You can do so and be notified when we have new episodes available and when we're going to go live on our social media channels by following us on social media. That's either Ping Pong or myself, Ryan Kramer. You can just search us in all of our channels. Your favorite ones, Instagram. You saw our my handle down there earlier. Um, Facebook, LinkedIn. Just go ahead and give us a follow and you'll be able to notified of the next great episodes. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about accounting services in the UK. It's actually very important to know that once you grow your brand internationally, why you should be working with an accounting service to make sure your numbers make sense. Uh, everyone's not a math whiz. Uh, I, I too am not a math whiz, but you want to make sure your numbers line up and make sense. 
So that being said, that's what we're talking about tomorrow. Um, e-commerce accounts over there. So uh, make sure you tune in uh, again. They'll be notified. Uh, just go ahead and hit the bell on YouTube or any other notification uh, system when we produce these and put these out, but it's going to be a great week of content. As always, I do this for you, the listener, no matter if you're on Amazon or you're an e-commerce brand, that is why we do this show. So that being said, this is Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. We'll catch you guys next time on the podcast. Take care.